he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ today. We are glad that you have chosen to join us for this week's sermon of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. God's Word is full of timeless truths that are relevant to our lives today. Here's this week's message. I'm going to read for you today from the Gospel of John, chapter 5. It's been a passage that's actually been a um, great encouragement to me over the years. And uh, read the first 15 verses. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there's a pool called in Hebrew Bethsatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the stirring of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well from whatever disease that person had. And one man was there who had been ill for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered, Well, sir, I've known to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. While I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, well, stand up, take your mat and walk. And at once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. And now that day was a Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been cured, well, it's the Sabbath, it's not lawful for you to carry your mat. But he answered, well, the man who made me well said to me, take up your mat and walk. And they asked him, well, who is the man who said to you, take it up and walk? And now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. And later Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you've been made well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse happens to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. In our scriptures, Jesus begins on his way to a festival. A festival could have had religious meaning, but it is nonetheless a celebration. A celebration that just kind of makes those kind of festivals and moments are, are things that just make life interesting, enjoyable, and fun. Uh, they're the things that we want to be about. Uh, this week I was looking at the, the, the little uh, community handout that came from our community center here in Cape Elizabeth about the various things that children and adults can do over the fall. And sure enough, for adults, there's all kinds of different festivals that they mention, from Freiburg Fair to one in Freeport to one in Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont, all these different trips they're going on, things that they are doing to create fun, exciting moments. A festival is an opportunity in which we realize, hey, everything that happens in life is better when it happens together. And when we are able to enjoy and celebrate moments like this. And Jesus is on his way to just such a festival. When he finds himself being disrupted by life. And that happens sometimes. When we're getting ready to celebrate something. Something gets in the way. Maybe we're going to celebrate a, a, a job nearly completed. Maybe we're going to celebrate a wedding on a mountaintop. Maybe there's something else. And then inevitably something happens that scares us and makes us go, wait a minute, hold on. What is going on here, God? What's happening? We were just on our way to something great, and now you've presented some new roadblock, some new hiccup for us. And Jesus is on his way to the festival, and he passes by this pool the pool of Bethesda, and there he, fi he finds indeed the harsh realities of this world, that he finds that there are people who have kind of set up camp around this pool. 
They are just waiting again and again for the pool to stir. I imagine that these people who are waiting in various states of disease or sickness or, or uh, being, uh, being unclean in their words or people who, who can't move, they've kind of set up camp. I imagine that if you were to look at this, it would look a whole lot like a tent encampment in some parks. That you would find people just sitting there going, I don't know what happens next, but I know this is where I am. And they are just hoping for a miracle, looking for any chance to get better. Many people need help, but as often the case with so many people, they just don't know what to do. And I'm sure the city is wondering, what do we do with all these people just camping out right there by the gate? Everyone coming in for our festivals are going to see this. What do we do with this? And Jesus goes by and he sees somebody. You see, they're camped out around here. Verse 4 tells us is because there's a story that sometimes the water stirs. And if you get into the water fast enough, you get healed. Now, if you were following along in your Bible rather than with the words, you might have found yourself going, wait a minute, my... My version was missing verse 4. Um, and uh, why is that? In fact, Diane asked me, she said, do you want to include verse 4 in the, in the reading for today? As she was putting together the slideshow for me. And I said, yes, let's do that. You see, uh, uh, that, that section of Scripture, that one little verse, seems to be, a lot of modern translators seem to think that it was a later edition. Because uh, the first writer of John, the oldest manuscripts, don't have it. Which, in other words, they were just telling the story of this pool, telling the story of the man who's just waiting to be healed. And somewhere along the way, somebody probably, when translating that said this, thought to themselves, you know, it's been a hundred years we've been translating this. I don't know if people know the story anymore of why they hung out by the pool. I'll just write a footnote of why they hung out by the pool. And then, uh, as the older manuscripts were lost for a while, those became a part of our translation. And so now, modern-day translators have put it in the footnote, just like they presume the earliest editors did. But is this history, this, this story of... They're gathered around the pool because somewhere along the way, someone saw the pool move. And they fell in, or rolled in, or stepped in. And afterwards, they felt better, and they said, God has healed me. And I know God has healed me. And they equated the stirring of that water with the healing that God provided. That there was a moment, a moment where they said, God was there. God answered this prayer. And it was after this stirring of the water. And it became an anecdotal proof, uh, anecdotal evidence. You know, uh, if you've ever heard that phrase, it means, well, once it happened this way, therefore, if it happens this way again, it'll continue. This idea that, okay, the, the water stirred once and I got healed. Okay, the next time it stirs, I'll get healed again. And so I imagine all these people gathered around just waiting for their opportunity, just waiting for their moment. And every time someone thinks, oh, the water stirred, they would jump in. And maybe they'd blame the other person for ruining it for them when they got in if they didn't get healed. Or maybe they were getting healed. But either way, they found themselves realizing that, hey, once someone got healed, then I want to be the next someone. And so they're just gathered around this place. I remember um, uh, uh, when I was a child, I took, uh, I took hunting lessons. I took hunting lessons. My dad wanted to be able to take me out, and uh, we would... Started off with birds like grouse and pheasant, and when I was a kid in North Dakota, we'd also, uh, I remember uh, getting ready for deer hunting. And I share this to say is I remember uh, 
the, the, the initial class where you learn like how you're supposed to carry a gun and all those kinds of things and uh, that you had to do to get your hunting license. And I remember uh, the, the illustration of how what you really want to see, you'll see. And to be careful about that. And to never shoot something you think is a deer unless you clearly see that it's a deer. Because just because the bush is moving a lot doesn't mean it's a deer moving it and you don't know what you're going to shoot. But what happens is, if you're sitting in your tree stand or, or wherever you are just waiting for the deer to come by, and you're waiting and you're waiting and one hour becomes two, becomes three... And now you're, and you're getting a little cold and you're getting a little hungry and you're just waiting and waiting. I know they're going to come. They're going to come every month. You start anticipating that the deer is going to come. You start, oh, I saw something. Something stirred over there. Is that the deer? Is that the deer? You start assuming it's going to be the deer coming every moment. And so the training said, if you don't see it clearly, don't shoot. That's how hunting accidents happen. And so I imagine this scene of everyone gather around the pool and every time there's a little brief, every time a leaf falls in the pool, oh, there's a string, go, go, go. I imagine just like that scene, every little moment, people keep trying, people keep hoping that that was the stirring that they were looking for. And there's a person there that has been waiting for 38 years, or has at least been sick for 38 years, and has been waiting a long time, and has no hope at all of being healed. And Jesus is on his way to a festival, on his way to a celebration, and sees this and says to this person the most curious question Well, do you want to get well? And that's an odd question to ask. You would ask that of someone who's got an addiction. You would ask that of someone who you think maybe needs to see a therapist. You would ask that of somebody who, who you think is, is, is struggling to come to terms with what they're dealing with. Someone who needs to admit a problem or, or, or needs to take a first step. But it's an odd question for someone who can't take care of themselves. He can't get into the pool by himself. Uh, for him, there's, there's no healing, there's no cleaning, there's, there's no cleansing, there's no hope for him because someone else always seems to get there first. And we find that the miracle here for this man is not related at all to their anecdotal evidence. It is not related at all to the stirring of the pool. That It is not related at all to, well, this is how it happened once, it'll happen again that way. And I think sometimes in our life, what happens is we see a moment where God surprises us. We, we were going on with life, everything was going well, then we, saw, we, we encountered that roadblock, we encountered that scary situation, we encountered that moment, and we say, and, and we prayed, and we fasted, or we brought someone else in to pray, or we confessed of a sin, or we did something, and someone says, see, it worked then, it'll work again that way as well. And it becomes a scene not unlike this pool, where everyone's just saying, hey, it happened once, maybe it'll happen that way again. Some people turn that into moments of, of, uh, <clears throat> of manipulation, of saying, well, if you help me out, God will help you out. But what Jesus does here is he comes to this person and says, and shows him that God's grace is not related to us repeating things a certain way, that God doesn't perform like a magic trick. And so he offers healing and just says to this man, stand up, 
take your mat and walk. And when uh, the Jewish leaders see this and see that he's doing this, and they ask him what's going on, and they, 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 they are revealing for us the consequences of what happens often when someone is really sick, particularly in that time. They were often separated, often kept pushed away. They were thought they were sick for a reason, that they didn't deserve Jesus' attention. And so the people around Jesus' time, those Pharisees and teachers of the law there, they would have thought to this person, what's going on here? You're breaking a holy law by carrying this mat, and, and now this person is healing you on the Sabbath as well. But what he knows is somebody had the power of God. That person told me to take up the mat, and so I'm taking up the mat. And, that, and these teachers of the law don't like this at all because they want to be able to prescribe the means by which we receive God's grace. They want to be able to say, if you just prayed a little harder, if you just went to the right festivals, if you just walk on the Sabbath, if you just performed the rules we told you to perform, God would act. And those who don't, they would push off to the side. And so there was indeed an, another kind of illness, a kind of social illness of being ostracized from the community, that once you're sick, you can't get near anybody. I think we got, a, we got a glimpse of what that was like a couple years ago, but at least even then we knew that if someone is sick, we are going to do everything we can to help them. Can we get your groceries? Can we, can we mow your lawn? What can we do for you? So the leaders find that the person whose 38 years of suffering was too great, in their opinion, even for Jesus to heal him. He should have just waited another day in their opinion. They, they want to know, well, who is this man? Where is he? Can you point him out? We want to know who this guy is that you think is worth following his word rather than the word of the law. And he's kind of dumbfounded. He doesn't know. He doesn't know who he is. He didn't take the time to find out who healed him. And so he's left kind of speechless. There's part of me that thinks, well, he didn't see at first. And then as his, maybe as his vision's restored, you know, uh, he just wasn't looking in the right spot or something. But he, he's left speechless. I don't know who healed me. All he can do is recite what Jesus said to him. So Jesus later on will find him. And he says another most curious phrase. He says, stop sinning. Now up to this point, it seems like the man was doing what Jesus had said. You know, he picked up his mat, he walked. What do you mean, stop sinning? And I think, on the one hand, this teaches us that uh, sinning is more than just what you do. Whether you've done something right or you've done something wrong. Sinning is about whether your relationship is with God or not with God. Whether you care more about the will of God or the will of others. And so for him who's starting to wonder, oh, maybe the Pharisees are right or maybe I should listen to them. I think Jesus is able to say, stop sinning. Jesus has given you a command and a way to live your life. That is the way you are called to live. I think the sin, if there's one, is to, it boils down to that of a bad relationship with his Father, he, uh, or with his Savior. Jesus Christ came and met him in a very real way, and he didn't even recognize who he was. But afterwards, at the tail end of this, he will recognize who Jesus is, who healed him. And he will be able to go in grace and say that Jesus has made him well. Jesus' words then were simple, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. And I don't think he's threatening to bring down another plague or anything like this. I think Jesus looks 
at the suffering around the pool and says to this man, you thought hanging out here all alone with no one to help you, no hope of survival is tough. tough. If you continue in your sin, if you do not follow in the call Jesus has in your life, if you deny getting to know Him, that final separation is far worse than anything experienced. Or as Paul would say, the wages of sin is death. And there is nothing worse than separation from God. Yet, in this part of the world, the worst part about being diseased was the separation that they endured at that time as a result of becoming unclean. So this is what this man had experienced for 38 years. And we thought two years of COVID was rough. The worst part about never getting to know Jesus would be separation from God. For in Jesus, we see the very love of God in the midst of pain. He will be with us. And he asks that we would be in right relationship with him. In fact, it's precisely into those moments that Jesus wants to stop and stay and be with us. There was a, um, there was a theologian um, that uh, I really uh, came to uh, like and respect. He had visited all of that well into his years when he was just in high school, World War II was starting. This theologian was named Jürgen Moltmann. He was known the world over in the religious field for his book, Theology of Hope, among other books, and uh, just, just came to be uh, well-respected. And I remember when he came to all of that, I was the uh, graduate assistant in the religion department, so I kind of had backstage tickets, got to talk with him a little bit more than everyone else, and uh, I would join him and the professors for lunch, and there he would tell this story. He tell the story that as a soldier who became a POW very early on in the war, uh, he was fortunate to miss a lot of what happened throughout that war. But one of the things that absolutely changed his life is he shared a story about the bombing of Hamburg. 80,000 bombs that descended upon his city and everybody he knew perished. Everybody he had once known. Yet... He had survived, and he was coming to terms with, how did I survive this than to go on to become a POW, but all my friends did not. And he said, oftentimes in the midst of death or in the midst of destruction, people will ask, why God? Why God did you do this, or why God would you do this? But he said that what I found was in the very midst of the hardest, I found myself saying, not why God, but where are you, God? He said, because I wasn't an outside observer, I was right in the middle of the pain, and all I want to know is, God, where are you in this? Because it's in that moment that he needed God, that we need God, when we feel forsaken, left behind, and desire nothing else than to know that there's a God who's interested in what I'm going through. And he said what happened is he found himself looking at the cross and the story of Jesus on the cross, and he saw the Son of God hanging between two thieves. And he realized God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ and willingly suffered right along with those people. That through Jesus, God suffers and dies with his beloved children. That God chose to be with those who are dying. And it's in the midst of dying innocence that we often find our Lord. That Moltmann said he saw on the cross not the senseless death of an innocent man, but the compassionate joining of our God with his creation 
precisely in their hardest moments, in their suffering and their dying. There is a God who knows and shares our sorrows. For it is said, indeed in Scripture, that Jesus bore our pain and our sorrows. And so when the man who is healed is questioned by the Jewish leaders, and they say, Jesus, huh? well, where is this Jesus? The Scripture passage tells us He has disappeared into the crowd among the great number of people that are gathered there among the pool. And I have found myself saying, yeah, yeah, on the one hand I know, okay, they just don't know where He is. He's gone. He's moved on. Perhaps is one way of looking at this. But I can't help but look at it in the same words, in the same vein as Jürgen Moltmann shared with me a long time ago when I was in college just learning to be a pastor. If Jesus has disappeared among the crowd, then He has disappeared among those who are still gathered and waiting. He has still, gathered, he has still, he has, he has still found somewhere among those who are still in pain, who are still looking for comfort, those who, who still look a lot like that 38-year-old, 38-year uh, struggling invalid, and now say to themselves, well, how'd he get ahead of me? <laughs> When's my turn? Jesus is among those people. And so this story I have found is a story that reminds me that God is with us even when we say to ourselves, but wait a minute, I've seen answers to prayer before. Where's the answer now? Jesus isn't found in the anecdotal moments. Oh, I did this once before. Maybe I didn't see God work because I didn't do that again. He's just got to stir the pool a little bit. He's not found in the pool. He's found in the Jesus who says, I love and I care for you. And sometimes Jesus surprises us and gives us a glimpse of eternity, gives us a glimpse of God's eternal plan. And other times we find Jesus shouldering Himself in between two thieves to be with us precisely where we are in the suffering and dying moments of life, to say God is with us and God's promise and hope continues in the resurrection. And I hope that this week we will find indeed that the Lord who has been crucified for us indeed is with us and God is still at work bringing hope and renewal in our lives wherever it interrupts our regular going on. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I am praying for um, the presence of your Holy Spirit in our life, the, the reminder that you are with us, the reminder that you are God, and that, Lord, we don't have to have the answers. All we have to do is listen to the call that you have upon our life. And let us be surprised by what you do. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, the promise of the resurrection, the promise of life everlasting. And I thank you for the promise of uh, your Holy Spirit that is with us today, the Spirit that uh, casts off sin and the power of sin to weigh us down, that indeed we can walk in freedom from whatever comes our way. And so, Heavenly Father, today I'm praying for this church. I'm praying uh, for each one here. 
I'm praying, Heavenly Father, that you would help us where we need it to pick up our mat and walk, to know that we are moving in your grace and that you are with us. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us whenever we look around and we say, wait, where is he? That we might find that you are there among us who are still yearning and waiting and crying out, God, we need you today. And so, Heavenly Father, pour out your Spirit on us. Help us to come to you and see that you are the God at work. And be open and amazed by what your grace will do. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God bless you abundantly as you serve him today.